Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Isn't that a beautiful song? And just a good reminder this morning of the incredible names of Jesus Christ, and I'm glad they sang that today. It actually goes right along with the series we're starting that we're going to be looking at for the next, uh, the next few weeks, and uh, it's a series. It's all out of one verse. One verse, that's all we're going to preach for the next five weeks. It doesn't matter. You're still, we're still, we are still not getting done early, but it's just one verse. But no, it's in that verse that we find uh, the phrase, his name shall be. And then we find a number of names attributed or giving to, given to the Savior. And uh, you know, someone once said, if you go and you kind of calculate it, uh, there are over 900 names attributed to Jesus or to, the, to God in Scripture, and some say 850, some say 952. We'll go with 900. Uh, there's about a 900 names or so in there, and uh, I love what one scholar said about it when he said these words. He said, there are hundreds of names in the Bible, given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I suppose this is because he is infinite, infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. And that is our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. And so we're going to jump into a series called His Name Shall Be. And I'm looking forward to this. I've already learned, been challenged by it, and I know it'll be a help to each of us. As we get started this morning, I just want to ask you a question. Do you have anything in life that you can think of, situations that have caused you to just go, wow, that, that's amazing. Wow, I can't believe it. Wow. You ever have a situation that causes you to do that? I mean, I'm talking right now <clears throat> about times in life, uh, you know, like when you're a sports fan and your team pulls out an upset. Maybe you're paying attention right now like I do. This is my, one of my favorite times of year. I love the holidays. I love Christmas. I love Thanksgiving. I love the pie like we ate last Sunday night after, uh, after uh, pie and praise night. I love all the desserts. I love all the Christmas lights. But I love football. And uh, it is the football season. And so you can ask my kids and my wife, uh, you know, what does is, what is your husband or what does your dad want to do during this time of year? They'll say he wants to sit at home in front of a fire with a blanket, a cup of coffee, and watch football. I could do that all day. And you say, well, that would be pointless. I know but I would still really enjoy it. And uh, maybe you're paying attention to college football right now. And if you don't know, they announced this morning the four college playoff teams. And I want you to know Washington is one of them. We are going in the playoffs and we are gonna win this year. Any other time I would cheer for the Cougs, but uh, the Huskies this year are good. If you're like me, the two biggest games of the year for Washington have been both games against Oregon. If you know what I'm talking about, you know the Washington Huskies played the Oregon Ducks October 14th was their first match, and then Friday, December 1st, was their second match. Do you want to know who won both times? Washington did by three points. Do you know what I did both times right at the end of the game? Yes! Oh, woo! Yeah! Why? The first game, it was because their kicker, Oregon's kicker, missed the field goal. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't a long field goal, but he missed it, and I went... 
He missed it. He missed it. Yeah, I was so excited. He missed it and, and Washington won. I'm talking about the times in your life. Have you ever had some situation that you just went, wow. Maybe it's like when my wife and I were on our fifth anniversary trip. It's a long time ago, but we went to Hawaii and I saw a sunset in Hawaii for the first time. And I was like, wow, that is breathtaking. It's amazing. Maybe things that cause you to go, wow, is the pie that we had last week. <laughs> a dessert. Man, this time of year, maybe a meal that something makes. I know a lot of you, you know, you think of Thanksgiving or Christmas and you have like that one dish like that grandma made or your mom made or your, your dad cooked and you're like, I can't wait to eat that. Wow, that's so good. Man, there's a lot of things in life that we go, wow. But if we'd be honest today, a lot of the things that we are enamored with, a lot of the things that we say, wow, that's amazing. A lot of those things, they don't really matter. But the things that we should say, wow, that's amazing. Those are things that we often become calloused about, indifferent about, things that we really don't even think about. Did you know that one of the names attributed to Jesus is the name, wow, amazing. I can't believe it. It's the name of wonderful. But I question this morning, when's the last time that you marveled at who Jesus is? When's the last time you stopped and thought, wow, that's my savior. I invite you, if you would, to take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number nine. Just gonna read two verses to start. You can stay seated this morning as we jump into this. But Isaiah chapter nine, just two verses. We'll get the context in just a minute. Isaiah is writing to the people of Judah. And he's writing about a prophecy, something that is to come. And he says these words. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The author starts out by saying, his name shall be called Wonderful. The name of Jesus, his name is Wonderful, filled with wonder, to marvel at, to be amazed at. Why? Why should we marvel? Why is his name Wonderful. That's the question we're gonna answer this morning. So let's pray together and then we'll jump into our passage. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we start this new series, Lord, that you would cause us to once again be amazed at who you are, what you've done, what you are doing and what you will do. And Lord, I pray as we come to this passage, God, would you just again uh, work in my life, work in my heart, work in my mind and help us, Lord, to hear from you and to be challenged by you this morning. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when you come to the book of Isaiah, there are some things we need to know. 
Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, many scholars believe that the book of Isaiah is probably one of the greatest prophetic books. But when you go and you read the book of Isaiah, there's some takeaways that you can get if you just did a, a casual reading over the uh, 66, book, 66 chapters, I believe there are in the book of Isaiah. If you just kind of read over those, there's some conclusions that you would come to. One of the conclusions you would come to is you would know who Isaiah is writing to, all right? He is writing to the people of Israel, specifically in the region of Judah, Judah is the southern group of Israel. If you know the 12 tribes that, uh, that uh, lived in Israel and where they began to move around and where they settled in, the northern part were the tribes of Israel, the southern part, the tribes of Judah and uh, the tribes that associate with Judah. So Isaiah is prophesying, he's writing to Judah. What is he writing about? Well, he's writing about judgment. The book of Isaiah has much to do with judgment. Like, hey, people of Israel, you have sinned against God. God has come to you and he has presented himself to you multiple times, but you keep rebelling. And so people of Israel, God, while he is a gracious God, he is going to bring judgment. And so he's gonna bring it through Babylon. You are gonna be judged by the people of Babylon. They're going to come in. And then you're going to be taken captive and you are no longer going to preside here in Judah. You're actually gonna be taken to a foreign land and life there is not gonna be good. Here's my question I wanna ask you today. How would you feel if on a Sunday morning, we all came in and I got up and I said, this week, your life, is gonna stink. This week, you're gonna be judged for your sin. You're gonna be persecuted by people around you. You're gonna lose your job this week. You're gonna lose your house this week. I'm telling you, this week is gonna be a bad week. Mark it down, bad week. How encouraged are you leaving today? <laughs> man, no one's walking out going, Pastor, thank you. Oh man, that's a great message. And you're probably walking out like, man, I ain't ever coming back to that church again. Good grief. What is that guy talking about? I can't. Man, you'd be, you'd be kind of frustrated. That's the message Isaiah was speaking. He's preaching to them that challenge is coming. As a matter of fact, if you went and you kind of summarized the first few words of Isaiah, Isaiah 8.22, he says this, look at it. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. <laughs> He's talking about the people of Israel and their future. Like, hey, people are gonna look at you and behold, you know what they're gonna, they're gonna see? Trouble and darkness. Let me just paraphrase it for you. Dimness of anguish. Hey, your future is dimness of anguish. Man, that's not, a, that's not fun. But while the book of Isaiah is about judgment, the overarching theme of the book of Isaiah is God's grace and God's redemption. Amen. And it's beautiful. Here's why. Right after these words, and there's prophecy and good things and judgment and grace all throughout the entire book, but in this specific portion, Here's Isaiah writing like, hey, you're gonna be judged. Dimness of anguish is what's gonna be the summary of your existence. But if you look at chapter nine and verse number one, he says this, nevertheless, nevertheless. 
The word nevertheless, chapter nine and verse number one, we don't really use that word very much, but it would be like the word however, or but there's something else going on. Here's what Isaiah says, and don't miss it. Isaiah says to the people of Israel, judgment is coming. Yes, Babylon is going to bring you into captivity. Yes, your years there are not going to be fun, but God is still working. But God is doing something. Nevertheless, there is something coming. Well, what is coming? Well, if you look at verse number two of Isaiah chapter nine, he says this, the people that walked in darkness, all right, I'm prophesying, you're gonna be the people walking in darkness. They have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Here's what, here is what Isaiah is saying, and don't miss it or you'll miss the, the next few weeks. Isaiah is helping people understand this. Your life right now, it is bleak, it is dark, there isn't a lot of hope, but I want you to understand there is light at the end of the tunnel because your God is still in control and God is still working and God is going to use even the years of captivity, God is going to use it to help you and bless you. You know what I love about God? In the lives of God's people, there is always a nevertheless. What do you mean, pastor? No matter how dark things can be at times, you know who's still in control? Your God is still in control. You know who's still working? Your God is still working. You know, in my life, when situations arise that I am just like, God, what is going on? Hey, there is a nevertheless in the life of Dennis. Why? Because God is still working. And so here's what Isaiah is saying to these people. Yes, darkness is coming, but there is hope. And hope has a name and a face. And that's when you come to verse number six. The hope I'm speaking of, his name shall be called wonderful. Hey, a child is gonna be born unto you that you are going to call wonderful. His name is going to be wonderful. So my question for us this morning is why? Why is Jesus titled wonderful? Why is a name given to him wonderful? Why is this uh, adjective used to describe who he is? Well, we have to understand what the word wonderful means. In this passage, the word wonderful, it means to be filled with wonder, to marvel, to view as miraculous, to be astonished, or to be amazed. So Jesus is someone that we should be amazed at. Jesus is someone that we marvel at. Well, why? Why do we marvel at Jesus? I see a few, thoughts, a few thoughts with us this morning answering this question, why is his name wonderful? Why do we marvel at Jesus? I see this first today, that he is wonderful because of his coming. Can I tell you, everything surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, that entire story is filled with wonder. Now, now, we're not gonna do it today. We will in the coming weeks dive into the coming of Jesus and his birth and all of this. But I want you just, just to think for just a few minutes with me about Luke chapter one. You're a 14, if you're a lady here, I want you to picture yourself as Mary. 14, 15 years old, engaged to a young man. Gentlemen, I want you to be Joseph this morning. You're 19, 18 years old, maybe 20, maybe. You're a prearranged marriage. You're espoused or engaged, gentlemen, to this 15-year-old. 
ladies to this 19 year old. It's arranged, you're, you're gonna get married. You know ahead of you is a life filled with work, a life filled with uh, just toil and going through it. And then ladies, you're, one day you're just there, you as a 15 year old girl, and you know, you know the Hebrew law, you know the prophecies of Messiah, you know all of that, you've been raised in it, you've memorized it. And one day you're just outside and all of a sudden an angel appears to you. And an angel says to you, hail thou that art highly favored among women. And Mary, the Bible says, she began to cast in her mind, toss around, what does this mean? Why are you calling, why am, why am I graced? Why, why, are you, why am I found favor? And the angel says, you know all the prophecies you've heard about? You're gonna give birth to the Messiah. Her first question isn't a question of doubt, like, no, I don't believe it. Her question is like, How? How will this be, seeing I've never been with a man? Like, I kind of know how the birds and the bees work, but how's this happen? And the angel says, because God, because God sees his people, and he's gonna put inside of you, the Holy Spirit's gonna put inside of you the child of God. You're gonna give birth to the king of kings, the one who's prophesied about. I don't know about you, but if I'm Mary, I'm wondering about that. That causes some marvel. That causes some astonishment, like, ah, wow. And then she goes to Joseph. <clears throat> hey, honey, I'm expecting. But it's, but just so you know, I haven't been with anybody else. Now Joseph goes, how can this be? I know about the birds and the bees. And Joseph begins to, the Bible says in Matthew chapter one, he begins to figure out in his mind, what am I going to do with her? Do I put her away privately or do I make this a big thing? You see, because under their law, she should be, uh, she should be killed, stoned for this. So he's wondering at all this. And then Matthew chapter one, verse number 18, an angel comes to Joseph while he's asleep and says, hey, she's not lying. It really is from me. You're gonna be the, Adoptive father of my son, the Messiah, promised before the world began. Joseph goes to Mary and said, an angel came to me last night and told me like, honey, I'm sorry for doubting you. This is amazing. You know, we come to Christmas time, let's be honest. Like we look at the birth of Christ and it's like, yeah, Christmas lights, yeah, the birth of Jesus. But when's the last time like you stopped to see he fulfilled all the prophecies. He came to a young girl. A virgin gave birth to the king of kings and lord of lords. A, a 19-year-old young man was the adopted father that helped raise him and establish him. I mean, there's so much around his first coming that should cause us to marvel. I think about even when he came. I love the story where the angels like are singing glory to God in the highest, Luke chapter two and verse number 14, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Like I wanna see that. The Bible says that Mary saw and heard all these things and it says in Luke chapter two and verse number 19 that she pondered in her heart all of these things. She wondered about all of this. Hey, can I tell you this morning that when we look at Jesus, why is his name wonderful? His name is wonderful because everything surrounding his birth is filled with wonder. I've heard this before, but I was reminded of it this week. Even the place where Jesus was born and how they got there. 
They're living in Nazareth and God uses the, uses the, the ruler at the time, Caesar Augustus, to make a law that you go back to your grandparents and great-grandparents' home, which for Joseph was Bethlehem. And so now he has to go to Bethlehem. Well, why would they go there? Because it was prophesied in the book of Micah that the Messiah would be born from Bethlehem. You wanna know something amazing about Bethlehem? Seven miles outside of Jerusalem is the city of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem was known for at that time? Bethlehem was the birthplace for the sacrificial lambs for the temple of Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting that the lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world, the sacrificial lamb whose blood would go before God for us in heaven, he was born in Bethlehem where all the sacrificial lambs were born. That just causes some wonder in me. Wow. His birth was wonderful. I see that his life here on earth was wonderful. His life on earth was filled with wonder. Well, what about it? Well, I think about the lessons that he taught. His lessons were filled with wonder. We don't have the time to go through all of the lessons, but man, you have the Pharisees who at the time, they are teaching some truths and some things from scripture that they call truth. But when Jesus came, he teaches something that was completely counterintuitive to what they were teaching. He teaches something that was a different message. You see, the religious leaders of that day, they were saying, hey, you can be close to God if you're like me. If you dress like me, look like me, talk like me, that's what the Pharisees were saying. And yet here comes Jesus on the scene and he says, no, you can be close to God because of the Messiah. The Bible actually says this. The very first time we find Jesus teaching, he's in the temple, Luke chapter two. He's 12 years old, answering questions and kind of debating with the the lawyers, those who were good within God's law, and the doctors, those who knew, uh, those who were scholarly and knew the, the law of the land and all of this. Here's what the Bible says. All they that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. The very first time we find Jesus opening his mouth, people are amazed at it. Mark chapter 10, as Jesus' ministry progresses, the Bible says the disciples were astonished at his word. Mark chapter six and verse number two, the people after hearing him were astonished and they said, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought or done by his hands? I'm just simply saying what Jesus taught caused people to wonder. It caused them to marvel. Not only do I find the lessons of his life cause us to marvel, but his miracles cause us to marvel. I wouldn't normally do this uh, on Sundays to maybe get some responses, but I wonder this morning, I want you to think with me, what is one miracle that you wish you could see Jesus do? Like not right now, but look in the Bible. What's a miracle that he did in the Bible? You're like, I wish I was there for that. Anybody have one? Yeah. Feeding the 5,000. Yeah. When he went, okay, in the Old Testament, parting the Red Sea. Yeah. Okay, David beaten Goliath. I want you to think specifically, though, about Jesus. What's a miracle Jesus did? Yeah. Okay, Peter walking on water, Jesus walking on water. What else? How about seeing Lazarus raised from the dead? Or Jairus' daughter raised from the dead? Or see the blind 
be able to give their, be, be given their sight or the lame be made to walk. I mean, really, we could just go down the line of all of the miracles that were done. Here's what the Bible says after many of the miracles. This one specifically, Mark 5, Jairus' daughter is dead. It says, and straightway the damsel arose and walked for she was of the age of 12 years and they were astonished with great astonishment. I love that. <clears throat> okay, here's why. So you have... If you, those of you that were here in our Luke series a few weeks ago, we talked about this. You have Jesus with Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue of Capernaum. And as they're coming to the house, servants come out and say, hey, don't bother the master, she's dead. Like dead, dead. Like there's no life in her, she's dead, she's gone. And Jesus says, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And the Bible, the Bible says this about all of the people there, that they laughed him to scorn. What does that mean? They mocked him. They were like the professional mourners. They knew what death looked like. They were like, no, 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 you don't get it. We know, like she is dead. Jesus is like, all right, goes in the room. A few minutes later, who comes out of the room? Well, those that went in, which is Jesus, the mom, the dad, and a few of the apostles, they all come out and then behind them comes out this 12-year-old little girl. And here's what Mark says to describe the scene. And they were astonished. How so? With great astonishment. He's like, I don't know how to describe it. Like she was dead, everybody knew it, but Jesus worked a miracle and everybody was amazed. Hey, these are the types of miracles that Jesus worked. I mean, John chapter number five, Jesus said this, the father loveth the son and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And uh, he will show him greater works than these that you marvel. Hey, there's some things coming that I'm gonna do that you're going to marvel at. One group in John 7, Jesus did one thing and Jesus said to them, I have done one work and you all marvel. As if to say like, imagine everything else that I have in store. And I look at his life and the lessons he taught causes me to marvel. The miracles he worked should cause us to marvel. But you know what else is the way he lived. Okay, <clears throat> I know this is easy for us to say, but often hard for Dennis, for me to comprehend. Do you realize that Jesus lived 33 years on this earth and never sinned? He never had a bad thought, never said a bad word, never was bitter. He never got revenge with somebody. He never, he, I mean, every sin that you and I could think of and name, Jesus was tempted but never chose sin. John wrote it this way. You know that he, God, was manifest to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Hey, that, that causes us to wonder because I'm gonna share a little secret with you. I want my wife and kids to plug their ears. I'm not perfect. And I still struggle with sin. <gasps> and you do too. And if you say you don't, you just lied. Therefore, you do. <laughs> like many of us can't go 24 hours without sin. He went 33. We can't go 33 minutes sometimes. 
And God went 33 years. Wow. And scripture says he was tempted in every area, just like you and I. Wow. Why is his name called Wonderful? Well, it's wonderful because of when he came, how he came, the surrounding, everything surrounding his birth. He's wonderful because of his entire life, the way he lived and the lessons he taught and the miracles that he did. Man, it was just completely absurd, humanly speaking. And yet here is this man doing all of these things that causes us wonder. But I think thirdly today that we should wonder what causes wonder is his purpose. Jesus was born with the purpose of dying. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came and lived a perfect life for the purpose of you receiving life. Hey, when you look in the mirror, do you know what you see? You see God's purpose to save you. I think this morning that when you look at scripture, John chapter 10, verse number 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. My purpose is to give life. John 10, 17 and 18 Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself and I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Hey, he came to die for you and for me. Why did he do that? Well, he did that to restore our relationship, to offer us eternal life, to give us forgiveness. I love what this says. Uh, Jesus came so you and I might be offered eternal life, forgiveness, and a restored relationship with God. When you look into the Old Testament, do we realize today that the, uh, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were all given so that mankind would know that we are insufficient, We cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot perform enough for God's forgiveness in our life. That is precisely why Jesus came. He came to bring forgiveness to you and to offer it to you freely because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. His purpose was completely for you to know God and be close to God again and for me to be close to God again. And when he rose from the dead, that was part of his purpose, you see, because the truth is, had Jesus not risen from the dead, then all of this would be pointless. But he rose from the dead, why? To prove he's God, to prove he can be trusted, to prove that everything he said was true, to prove that the miracles were not just some anomaly, to prove that he, in fact, is the son of God sent before the foundation of the world to die for the sins of mankind. He rose again to put the stamp of approval to say, sealed, this is complete, and you can understand that you can trust me. Man, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, like that should cause a little bit of wonder in me. His purpose causes me some to wonder. I think about this in Romans 5, 8, God commend or gave his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He fulfilled his purpose of dying for us even in the midst of my sin. I said it a second ago, but his resurrection causes wonder. His purpose was to rise from the dead. Mark 16, eight, they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher for they trembled and they were amazed. 
I wonder if we still find his resurrection amazing. Why is his name wonderful? Well, his name is wonderful because everything surrounding his birth and entrance into this world was filled with wonder. His life and his miracles and the lessons he taught is filled with wonder. His purpose, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it's, it's filled with wonder. But I noticed lastly this morning, kind of really on a very personal level, what should cause you and I to wonder? Well, his love for you and his love for me. We talk about his purpose and him dying for you. Now we talk about the motive, the, motive, the motivation behind the purpose, his love for you. We read the verse a moment ago from John chapter 10. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. Why? Because he loves you. I've asked this multiple times. But do you ever not love you? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you're this way, but there are some times when I look in the mirror and I'm like, ugh. I don't like you. You know, <clears throat> when God looks at you and when he looks at me, it is always through the lens of a complete, perfect, pure love. He doesn't see disgrace, he doesn't see disappointment. He loves you because of himself. No wonder John wrote these words. Behold, stop, pay attention. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Hey, stop and catch. Stop and remember that he loves you. I love John 13, one. It says there now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he's about to go to the cross, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, I love that last phrase, he loved them unto the end. Man, Jesus' love for you is continually ongoing. Paul writes about this love, talking about husbands and wives, but he uses the love of Jesus in an example in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It is a completely sacrificial love. I think about Jeremiah 31, three, a prophecy given to the people of Israel, but an application for you and I, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, if we were to be honest today, the, we would have to say that the love the Lord has shown us, it really is an unbelievable love. I mean, his love is something that the author of John, who, John who wrote the book of John said, for God so loved the world. He just uses a word to say it's indescribable how much God loves you. I mean, think about it today. We disappoint God and yet God still loves us. We have at times can hurt God and God still loves us. We disobey God or betray him or excuse our sin in front of him. At times we can, I'm sure, frustrate God and God's grace and we ignore God in our life and yet God still loves us and God bestows gifts upon us like we heard about from Noah on Wednesday night. God gives gifts to us and yet we, we defy it where we are ungrateful and yet God still 
still keeps giving and he still keeps blessing. And God put a family in your life and people in your life. God placed in my life an amazing wife and awesome children. But I, I hate to say it today that there are days that I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. But you know what God does? God still loves me. Hey, if you ever need to just wonder at God and who he is again, like truly think about who you are in your heart and then go, he still loves me. And if you're like me, then this week, as I was studying for this message and thinking about today, this is the one, this is the one point that I was like, Lord, help me to not lose wonder at the fact that you love me. Like God absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter who forsakes you or disappoints you or turns their back on you, no matter who discourages you, no matter who lets you down, no matter, no matter what situations you face in life, there is hope at the end of the tunnel because you have a God in heaven that is sitting on a throne that looks at you and says, I love you with an everlasting love. Wow. No wonder his name is wow, wonderful. No wonder the author said, there's hope at the end of the tunnel and his name is called wonderful. I love how one man summarized it. He said, it's a word, wonderful. It's a word which expresses with surprising accuracy everything in relation to our Redeemer. He truly is wonderful. You know, when we say wonderful, our wonder about things is often based upon how we feel in the moment. Right? So I feel hungry, thus this meal is wonderful. I feel I feel loved, so thus my relationship with my wife is wonderful. We base our wonder and our awe. I feel excited that my team won. And so my excitement, my awe is because my team won. Now, if my team loses, my awe is not there. If my wife and I aren't connecting well and getting along well, my awe may not be there. If I'm not that hungry and something's placed in front of me that's really good, my awe isn't there. Why? Because our, often our awe, our wonder is based upon feeling. Can I tell you this morning, when we come to the name wonderful, it's not based upon a feeling for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wonderful. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He came for you. He has purpose with you. And so our response should be, Lord, help me. Help me not to lose the wonder. I said this a moment ago and I close with it this morning. It's Christmas. Got lights up. You probably have decorations at your house. I've been to a few houses already during this Christmas season and they look beautiful. Maybe you don't put decorations up, okay. Maybe you already have Christmas gifts. Maybe you haven't bought, I don't know, but it's Christmas season. A lot's going on. Family time, friends time. We got all this stuff. But during this Christmas season, can I encourage you, don't lose sight 
of the one who was given, whose name is wonderful. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Was Jesus born on December 25th? I hate to break it to you. No, he wasn't. He's probably born in April, just so you know. That's when I was born too, so. I'm just saying, I actually do have biblical proof for that, but anyway. You know, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. He wasn't born in the wintertime. A lot of the little things that we do, you know, there weren't Christmas lights up when Jesus was born. There probably wasn't a Christmas tree in there. Like, I hate to tell you that, but. You know, we sometimes, we allow all the stuff to distract us from the Savior. We allow all the plans to cause us to miss the person. We get filled with the wonder of the season and we forget about the wonderful Christ. So this morning, I don't have this big application for you to take home that's just gonna change your day and change your life. I just have a question. For you and for me, will will you ask the Lord, God, help me during this Christmas season not to lose sight of you and the fact that you are wonderful. God, help me to be filled with awe when I remember how much you love me. Help me to be filled with marvel when I look at what you did, how you came and who you are. But maybe this morning you're here and you, you can't look to the Lord with wonder because you don't know that he's in your life. You've never put your faith and your trust in him. And you heard me just a moment ago talk about the death, burial and resurrection and God's love for you and you think I've never experienced that love in my life. Can I tell you, if you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, today could be the day where you put your faith and your trust in him, recognizing he is wonderful and desires to restore your relationship with God. All of mankind, we are broken. We are sinners separated from God, but Jesus came to give his life, to die on a cross, to be raised again so that you might know forgiveness and be restored, have a restored relationship with God. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in him, Today, the Bible says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Confess, God, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and I'm putting my faith and trust in him. If you've never made that decision today, I wanna encourage you to make that. If you have chosen Jesus as your savior, will you ask God to help you not lose the wonder of who he is? We have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning as we prepare for a time of invitation Invite, we are invited to respond to the Lord. But this morning, just uh, before we pray, before we have music, I just wanna ask you today if God spoke to you. Today, if the Lord has spoken to you and you do know Christ as your savior, this morning, would you make a commitment? God, would you help me this week, this month, not to lose the marvel as to who you are and the fact that you love me? But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, can I tell you right there where you are, right where you're seated, you could pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come into your life and save you. It's not special words that save you. It's just you confessing, God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. And today I choose Jesus and I put my faith in him alone. 
And this morning, if you're here and that's a decision that you need to make right there where you're seated, you can make that decision.